As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, heartbreak at the Bernabeu as Chelsea come close to pulling off one of the all-time great Champions League comebacks. No time to mope though, we've got two FA Cup semi-finals to look forward to and a quiz. All that and more to come on this episode of Straight Out of Cobham. close then listener never mind still champions of the world uh, it's me matt back in your ears alongside two of the athletics big guns liam toomey's with us hello sorry dom's just started waving around a cricket bat with a well, with a spider a, attached he, to it yeah well, crikey that's astonishing it's uh it's all going off here i'm aware <laughs> that's not my usual one-liner <laughs> I was going to say perhaps a metaphor for, but I can't think of what a spider on a cricket bat would be a metaphor uh, for. So Liam's not out in Madrid anymore. Dom Fifield, you're going to bowl us over with some hot takes? Just stop now. Just <laughs> stop while you're ahead. Go on, please. Fair. Okay. Uh, so as I say, Liam, just back from Madrid, but that's where we're heading first. Not literally. It's a good ball by Kovacic. They've opened up. Real Madrid, Timo Werner, nice and patient, still Timo Werner, it's in! Timo Werner with a gigantic goal for Chelsea, and this one certainly does count, and for the first time in the tie, Chelsea are ahead, they're up 4-3 on aggregate. Celebrations begin in the Bernabeu after an absolute classic. So, Chelsea's defence of the Champions League comes to an end at the quarter-final stage after a truly epic second leg. Chelsea winning 3-2 on the night, but going out 5-4 on aggregate. Liam and Simon were both in the Santiago Bernabeu and they had a counselling session post-match. So, Simon, we're at the Bernabeu. We're currently watching... The Chelsea players clapping their their fans high to our right. Chelsea fans defiantly chanting. When you were standing on the hill in the park of Seven Boobs earlier today, did you 
think in your wildest thoughts that we would witness the game that we've seen tonight? Well, let's just say I found some of the mounds easier to climb than the obstacle that Chelsea had to overcome tonight. And they came so close. Um, and that is why they're looking so devastated in front of us. 3-0 up. They're going through an aggregate. It's all looking good. To be honest, they should have been further ahead than they were. And then, unfortunately, Luka Modric, the player they wanted to sign over a decade ago, has come back to bite them with a glorious the, pass. The best assist I've seen live, I think, maybe. Just an unbelievable... To even spot it, let alone to land it basically on Rodrigo's foot. I mean, yeah, I know people will probably point to mistakes in the lead up to Rodrigo's goal and then Benzema's goal in the in extra time suggestions that Kante didn't didn't run he got, I know he gave the ball away in the build up to Rodrigo's goal but Chelsea don't get to 3-0 up without Kante and they don't get to 3-0 up without all of the players that that were involved in what went wrong in extra time it was just an an epic performance that in the end wasn't quite good enough to undo a disastrous first well, basically, the difference between the two sides essentially came down to finishing, really. You can talk about mis defensive mistakes. And of course, Mendy Rudiger's combination at the start of the second half of the, of the first leg will instantly spring to mind. But Chelsea had enough chances to win this tie over the two legs, actually, by a couple of goals. I mean, even. Even just before full-time of normal time, Pulisic has two good chances. You have Kai Havertz, of course, in deep in extra time, the chance to equalise on aggregate. These are the kind of chances that, you know, we're not even talking about Lukaku in the first leg. It's the difference at this level, and unfortunately, as brilliantly as Chelsea played, they just weren't good enough at both ends of the pitch to go through. And, and this defeat will hurt because that was one of their best ever European performances and yet it still wasn't good enough. Yeah, I agree. Like, even, even with the aggregate score, you, that, that belongs in the pantheon, doesn't it? And um, I mean, they played like European champions tonight. They went, out on their, they went out on their shields and out on their feet at the end of it all. And I do, I, I do think they're a better team than Real Madrid. I, I don't... Madrid didn't have an answer, particularly for Chelsea's shape tonight. I thought Tuchel was incredibly creative, you know, with the role that he gave Loftus-Cheek. Madrid didn't know what to do when Chelsea had the ball. They were getting pinned back. But, as you say, Madrid have individual quality. They have ruthlessness. And I think, above all, they just have unbreakable self-belief. I don't see many... I, I don't think many other clubs in Europe could have gone 3-0 down at home to the kind of performance that Chelsea put on for the best part of, what, 70 minutes and still emerged from this tie as winners because the momentum was just all heading one way, wasn't it? And they just find a way to scrap and claw and hang in and then provide moments that, that get themselves out of it. I know we're not, not supposed to be talking about Real Madrid, but it, well, it feels like, you know, we have to reference them given the way things have gone. Yeah, and... and uh... Yeah, I mean, the, the reactions of the home fans at the end said, said it all, really. It seemed to be more relief than celebration. That sort of roar of, oh, thank goodness, they've, they've somehow got through. But, yeah, you, you're right, Liam. Like, it would be wrong to, to ignore that, that Real Madrid showed a lot of character there. A lot of teams would have folded under that, especially at home, where the, 
you know, when you're 3-0 down, the home fans could turn, but actually they, they stuck behind them and they, they managed to turn it around. But it, 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 it's that wand of a, of a right foot that, that Modric did with the outside of the foot, that pass, that's what turned the tie and the turn the mood in this ground. Um, I, I still think like the substitutes, Chelsea substitutes didn't really come on and make the impacts that, that Tuchel would have hoped Ma for. Madrid's substitutes made them better, Chelsea substitutes made them worse. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. Um, but you sort of feel like you want to give some shout outs to some performances like uh, Rhys James was booked really early on and he really feared for him, but he, he was immense. Same, same with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he looked absolutely gassed after about 35 minutes. An absolute stormer. Um, I thought this looked like a career-defining night for Antonio Rudiger for yeah. quite long stretches until extra time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was another Rudiger's performance, towering header. But um, what? I mean, Tuchel now has, it, we have to face facts. He, he now has a tough job on his hands to lift these players, both mentally and physically, ahead of the FA Cup semi-final. Um, that's the only trophy Chelsea can win now. Um, they've got to try and take all the positives from this, and, and there are an awful lot, and, and try and make sure that they, they try end the season with some silverware, because that's a glorious failure against Liverpool in the League Cup final, a glorious failure against Real Madrid in the Champions League Cup final. They don't want this reputation of suddenly becoming a bit nearly men, you know, um, it sounds harsh, but that's a couple of uh, games perhaps they'll look back on with a lot of regret that they should have won. And ultimately, with the, the change of ownership coming up, the priority is just to make sure you're continually in games like this going forward. We know they're going to be in the Champions League next year, but you want to make sure that you're still a factor in knockout games like this. Just a final word on the atmosphere, because Amazing. this is my first time at the Bernabeu. Yeah. I know it's your first time at the Bernabeu. You, made, you, you weren't even down to work tonight. You made a special trip to come out because it was on your bucket list. What were your impressions? Oh, well, you know, I'm so glad I made it, regardless of, uh, you know, seeing Chelsea go out. It was, uh, it was a privilege to be here. You know, obviously there'll be a lot of disappointed Chelsea fans out there, but it was an amazing game of football, an amazing night for the Champions League. And just quickly touching on the owners, you can imagine that all four of them are sitting there going, oh, I'll have some of this, thank you very much. Um, they, they will want to be there for nights like this. So, yeah, if anything, you sort of think, this night might actually help Chelsea get the kind of backing they want from the new owners to make this uh, not not the end of, of things, but the start of you know a new era of Chelsea and a new ownership who uh, will sort of face Real Madrid again. Yeah, the Madrid fans have mostly filed out, all apart from the drummer, it seems. Um, but they, I mean, they certainly played a massive part in in helping to turn the momentum in favour of their team. The Chelsea fans up to our right are still here. It'll be a while before they're allowed out there. The mood there is very quiet, very somber. They're all sitting down, just kind of, con I think, probably still processing what they've just seen. I'm sure that... I was that say, they're probably getting their breath back as well, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that cardboard cutout of Thomas Tuchel is there somewhere, and, I, and I'm sure it'll be getting plenty of reverence tonight as well, because I think when the dust settles, I mean, it, it was clear at full time they were incredibly proud of their team, and... I think most of them will feel pretty privileged to have been here as we as we were to have, to have witnessed a game and a performance like that. So from Madrid, this is this is Simon and Liam signing off. Adios. Lovely stuff. Really enjoyed that. Uh, Dom, we know Thomas Tuchel's an emotional man. Do you think he's going to stand by his comments on, on the ref laughing with Ancelotti post-match? I mean, do you think that will ever come up again or, or was that just him venting in the way that he did after the first leg? 
was disappointed that the referee was had a good time with 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 my colleague with Carlo Ancelotti. I know that Carlo is a gentleman and a nice guy, but uh, when I wanted to go and and say thank you for the match, I, I see him laughing and 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 smiling and laughing loud with 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 the opponent's coach. I think this is the very very wrong time to do this after after final whistle in in 126 minutes and one team giving their heart and 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 fighting to the very last drop and uh, you go as a coach and see the, the the referee smiling and and laughing with the other coach i think is a very very bad timing and i told him this two different questions there i guess will it ever come up again that very much depend upon the questions he's asked in his pre-match press conference on friday because i can't see it extending beyond that i do think it was emotional i don't think he i, I just don't think he he copes with defeat or admittedly defeat over two legs very very well uh, as no elite manager does I mean I'm not expecting him to suddenly be all, all gracious uh, when he's suffered one of what was a, essentially a very disappointing and frustrating elimination so uh, he, he didn't come across well I, I, I really it's irrelevant I, I mean it's it, it was a nonsense thing to 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 crop up and to bring up in a post match interview, but you know I'll forgive him that. He's he, Chelsea's performance at the Bernabeu was outstanding in so so many ways, and a lot of that was down to what Thomas Tuchel did. And I think certainly look, Chelsea fans obviously will forgive him anything at the moment. As a neutral in this. I've got nothing but admiration for for Thomas Tuchel and everything that he's done at Chelsea, particularly since all the ownership issues have have cropped up. Um, he's just an absolute class act, and if he lets himself down occasionally in a post match interview when he's very very disappointed, I think I can live with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Liam, your post match piece for the Athletic pondered on what what Chelsea will look like next season. This was a last hurrah for, for quite a few players potentially in, in the Champions League in a Chelsea shirt, and, and maybe that's why Tony Rudiger was was so upset at the final whistle. Yeah, Rudiger was uh, particularly performatively furious at full time, pushing David Alaba away, not having any of the uh, the usual sort of opposition consoling. Um, pleasantries uh, you know just let me get back to beating the floor with my fists that was that was his very much his thinking and then got up and gave like a a really controlled matter of fact post-match interview which was quite quite funny showed his emotional range I guess um, but maybe that was in his head because this is all ticking down now very close to to July 1st there were suggestions that that Rudiger was you know, getting closer to signing a new contract at Chelsea, that there was more optimism on all sides, that a deal would be done before all of the Abramovich stuff kicked off and, and this ownership process really clicked into gear. And now it all depends on how quickly it's all resolved and whether they can get back around the table with him and his camp. I think, you know, you know, we saw his agent was seen meeting with Barcelona quite recently they're doing what they have to do in the circumstances they're planning for for any other eventualities. Um, and then, of course, there was Cesar Espilicueta, who's triggered that option in his contract, but could still end up at Barcelona next year. I really felt for him because he did the longest unfulfilled substitute warm-up of all time. I can never remember. He, he, was, he was in full kit with a bib on 
like warming up vigorously during half time because it looked like Ruben Loftus Cheek was completely gassed already. And then Loftus Cheek came out and had a storming second half, and he just never came on. Um, still managed to get a book in, yeah. <laughs> still managed to still managed to infuriate uh, the referee and and make his presence felt. But yeah, he's another one who could be gone. Those are two incredibly important leaders in this squad. And then you look at guys like Angolo Kante, captain on the night. And Jorginho, who came on, both have one year left this this summer. What happens with them? That actually hints to a piece I'm working on for the Athletic now. Um, so yeah, this team could look very different as soon as next season. And so that was that was what I was driving at with the piece was that they're operating at such a high level, and this performance was a reminder that they're still so close to what I consider the European peak of the Abramovich cycle, because I think 2021 was, was their greatest achievement, even better than 2012, that it's a really big responsibility for the new owners to try and maintain that standard. And it's not going to be easy because the team will naturally change and evolve uh, very, very soon. So it will be interesting to see what happens from here. We know Chelsea will be in the Champions League next season, almost certainly, but we don't quite know what they'll look like. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe if the new ownership is tied up pretty quickly, that's an easy win for for somebody to offer Tony Rudiger a load of money. You don't have to pay a transfer fee for him, sign him up to a big new contract, and then you've got the fans on side straight away. But I guess time will tell with that. Uh, Before we move on from Madrid, Dom, Lewis Benton's been in touch, imploring us to talk Timo and how good he was. Uh, This is following on from last week where we were a bit kind of, well, it was against a rubbish Southampton Mm. side. Uh, We didn't think, or you didn't think he was going to play, and he did. He was excellent. But again, it's it's kind of classic Timo, isn't it? He, he scores a goal that, that could have been crucially important and ends up actually not being particularly important because it didn't send Chelsea through. But these last couple of games, enough to to convince you that he might have turned the corner or is this just a, a late flourish in the, the end days of his Chelsea career? I don't think you can make a, a dramatic assertion like that, that he, he has turned the corner completely because... Uh, he needs he needs more consistency. He's done very well in the last two matches, um, but yeah, it's it's about doing it over a protracted period of of time. He, he'll always have the the mantle of having scored the winner for Chelsea at the Bernabeu, the, the first time they ever won there. He he scored the winner. How many how many away wins in succession is that? That nine or eight 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 in succession. So it's a club record now, isn't it? We're, we're up to which is which is amazing, particularly given the context. And I, I thought he w- he was great. And you know, yeah, and he and you know, my assertion after the Southampton game was that he would only prosper in a team that was counter attacking. Well, Chelsea weren't counter attacking at the Bernabeu. They 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 were camped in Real territory for long periods of that game dominating the ball and really causing Real all sorts of problems. And Werner was part of that. So I was wrong completely on that. Um, and hopefully he he now believes that he can do that more consistently in a Chelsea shirt. Because I think actually he, it has been self-doubt that's been creeping into his play. Um, and, and maybe it does take just a... An instinctive goal like the one he scored at Southampton, the first one he scored at Southampton, where he isn't, um, he, well, he's, 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 he's gathering the ball at pace and he's running, he's taking three touches and the fourth is a, is the finish, um, rather than sort of mulling it over in his, as his, in his mind as he goes forward. There just simply wasn't time for that. And 
And maybe that will spark something that's more akin to what he did at RB Leipzig. Um, I just hope he has an absolute stinker at Wembley on Sunday. <laughs> to be fair, none of us knew that he was capable of playing a through ball like that with his thigh. Oh. <laughs> absolutely incredible if he can if he can pull off passes like that that kind of vision and improvisational genius then maybe he can be uh, effective against deep lying defences after all <laughs> there is a will for him to for it to work though isn't there people like him we, we talked about the cult figure status after Southampton but I think even among even in this group and even amongst the media people like Timo Werner he's he's a likeable person on, on the pitch and he the amount of work he puts puts in, it's not as if he's he's not as if he's static on the football pitch. He is he's doing everything he can. Sometimes he's almost striving too hard to make it work, and maybe that's counted against him. But you know, fair play. He's been he's been brilliant the last two games. And and if he if he ends the the season on a high and a little sprint and a flurry of goals, then then maybe we do have to rethink, you know, what happens to Timo Werner in the future. Maybe he is an option that's worth pursuing. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, so, so close, but so far for Chelsea in the Champions League. It being April and this being Chelsea, though, there's another huge game on the horizon. We'll preview that later. Next today, though, we're talking takeovers. So we're recording on Thursday, which is the deadline for final bids to buy the club. Uh, Liam, we heard from Stephen Pagliuca for the first time on Tuesday, uh, tell anyone who missed it what he had to say, and, and he's he's linking up with this John Terry mob by the sounds of it too. Well, that part of it is still not entirely clear because they, you know, their wording was "We welcome the endorsement of the True Blue Consortium." It, it didn't sound like they were necessarily marrying themselves to it, um, and I also don't really understand from from True Blue's perspective why they're even being seen to endorse one of the bidders when pretty much their entire plan is is to be able to sit down with whoever wins this process and try to persuade them to sell 10% of the club. Um, but anyway, that aside, yeah, Paliuka has, has given us a lot more information finally about, about his bid team. Um, he announced Larry Tenenbaum, who's chairman of the NBA and, and of uh, the company that owns... Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors um, as his co-managing partner of his bid. So there are some quite well-known names, particularly within the realm of sort of US business and, and media. Um, former Disney chief exec Bob Iger, Facebook co-founder Eduardo Saverin and his wife. Um, another name that kind of caught my eye was a co-owner of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, I, I'm an NBA fan. The Warriors have been exceptionally successful uh, Peter Goober um, so interesting for, for Paliuka to get him involved as well Isn't he also part of the LA Dodgers ownership? Yes yes which suggests that the LA Dodgers board meetings could be quite interesting <laughs> when all this is said and done uh, some some daggers being shot from across the table <laughs> between Todd Bowley and Mark Walter of course on, on one major bid um, it's better late than never from Team Paliuka, I think. You know, they, they, they've operated in, in so much secrecy and there's been a suggestion that part of that has been that just because this has been quite late in coming together relative to the other consortiums, I don't really have a good sense on whether it's too late for them to be considered front runners for this. Of course, they're serious contenders because there are only four 
big teams left. Um, the perception is that that Bowley and Ricketts, Griffin, etc., are the are the two leading groups. But we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, I think in the next few days, Rain and Chelsea will evaluate everything. The other significant confirmation we've had from all of this is that all of the bid teams have confirmed their their bids are all cash. Um, so there are no leverage takeovers here, no no debt being loaded onto Chelsea. I think that's really important and something that I'm sure the the fan groups and supporters trust will be very very happy to hear. Um, but there's a lot more a lot more to do now, and um, and hopefully we get, we get some sort of resolution quite quickly because even though this is actually happening quickly relative to to most football club takeovers, I think there's a lot of fatigue among Chelsea fans with this story now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so today, as we record the the deadline for final bids to be in, the best place to keep up to date with all the developments is, of course, The Athletic. Still available at a special price of just a pound a month for your first six months to new subscribers. Just go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up now. All right, we've got plenty still to come on today's pod. Next on the agenda, a pair of FA Cup semi-finals. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chelsea are back at Wembley for the second time this season as they take on Crystal Palace in the FA Cup semi-final on Sunday. Uh, Dom, you and Patrick Vieira must have been absolutely thrilled watching Chelsea exhaust themselves over 120 minutes in Madrid on Tuesday. Yeah, to to a certain extent, I guess. Uh, But then I'm realistic enough and I've seen enough of Tuchel's Chelsea to realise that, that, you know, the intense disappointment at elimination uh, will, or while it will, there will be a hangover from that for a couple of days. They do. That was a Tuesday fixture. Okay. They got back at 5am on Wednesday morning, but um, after a, a bit of a breather at Cobham this week, I fully expect them to be completely focused on the one trophy that they can go on to win in what remains of the season. So I, I don't think it will, it'll uh, play that much of a, of a part to be honest. And, you know, look, as a journalist, I watched that Real Madrid game and thought, my word, Chelsea were magnificent out there. I mean, that, that was that was some performance to, to pin Real Madrid back in the way they did. As a Crystal Palace supporter, I was terrified watching that Chelsea performance and seeing them pin Real Madrid back as they did. Um, it's, it is what it is. I, I, I think it's asking an awful lot of... Um, of Palace to go out there and 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 beat them at, at Wembley, but the way that Vieira's team have played the season, they will give it a very good go. 
In terms of the lineup for Chelsea, Liam, that's going to be dictated by who's fit and able to play after Tuesday, I suppose. But there's no danger that they might have one eye on Arsenal on Wednesday too, in terms of the lineup, is there? You can use this game in isolation again. It's a, it's a fairly long break, isn't it, between the two matches and, and Arsenal losing form and Chelsea picking up points in the league maybe means that's not quite as big a factor. I think it's long enough and... Yeah, Chelsea are in a really strong position now in third place again. That Southampton win, I think, really consolidated things to the point where it shouldn't be a significant factor in Tuchel's mind. They've got one trophy left to play for this season that they can win. And also the FA Cup has a particular resonance to them because they lost in the final last year in in, in pretty shocking circumstances. So I think there's probably an extra motivation to get back there and give themselves another chance to to put that right and also end what has been a real ordeal of a second half of of the season um on a high so I I think Tuchel's just going to pick his strongest team it didn't look like there were any fresh injuries coming out of that Real Madrid game just I think significant fatigue but not necessarily something for Tuchel to worry about. Of course, we'll get a better idea when he does his press conference on Friday. Um, but I, I don't expect him to to kind of keep players up his sleeve for the Arsenal game because I think this this really is the big one. Uh, Don Patrick Vieira had a bit of a moan about Conor Gallagher not being allowed to play. I'm surprised at that because it's never going to happen, was it? And, and partly, I think, because... It's not that fair on the player. You know, what if he scored a last-minute winner on Sunday and then he has to come back to Chelsea next season? It was never a go at that, was it? I'm confused by this entire story because the rules of the competition state that he cannot play, regardless of whether Chelsea give him permission or not. Now, I can only see when I wasn't at Patrick Vieira's press conference prior to the Leicester game at the weekend, uh, I can only assume that he's been asked questions and... (laughs) Uh, that have led him to to say this stuff about Conor Gallagher's development um, and how Gallagher should get the opportunity to play in, in in big games like that, and because it was never an option, it was it was not something that, that could happen. I mean, if Palace may have asked, but this is a this is a relatively new rule put into the into the FA Cup. I think it was actually it may have even been just this season that it was put in. Um, so it was it was never going to happen. Um, so it's really irrelevant whether. Palace feel frustrated, whether uh, whether Chelsea feel vindicated, whatever it's, it, it doesn't matter. The, the one thing that 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 is interesting from his response was that Gallagher was apparently visibly upset on the training ground at Palace when the news of the draw came through, or when they when they found out that they they were playing. Chelsea in the semi-final and he would be unable to play. But that is just that is just what happens with lone players. I mean, that's that's just the luck of the draw. There was no way that Chelsea have been scarred by this before. We've spoken about this in the past. And the Thibaut Courtois back in 2014, wasn't it, in the Atletico Madrid. And Chelsea don't fall for that anymore. They don't... The only time it's happened really... Uh, high profile in the, in the period since was when, when uh, Tamori and Mount were allowed to play for Derby in a League Cup tie. But Derby were in the championship, you know. And Agent Tamori scored a known goal as well, didn't he? Yeah. So that was it was it was gonna <laughs> it was gonna happen. I mean it's it's as you say, I I, I just find the whole thing slightly slightly contrived and it would have only taken um a little exploration of the FA Cup rules to to determine that it wasn't gonna happen anyway. 
It's just my opinion. I don't believe these rules should exist. I, I, I completely um, agree with you on that. I think if you loan a player to another yeah. club, they should be able to play against anyone at any time. Yeah. And if you loan a young player, if you outsource a young player's development for a season, they should be able to play against you if they if they draw you. I, I, I think it's a bit... I, I, I don't think it affects players that much and I don't think I think it's overplayed the sort of consequences it would have if if he were to score against Chelsea or something I don't think it would be a big issue he's doing his job you know Um, and I I, I remember that game I know Tamori scored an own goal I think he actually played quite well though and Mount played very well against Chelsea in that game Um, so yeah I don't think it's an issue but at the same time Everyone knew what the rules were when they agreed yeah. to this particular loan. So I, I don't see why this story has come up this week either. It's um it was the Arsene Wenger argument, wasn't it? He always he always said that they should be allowed to play against against the, the, the team that had loaned them. And Arsenal Arsenal at the time were loaning out a load of players and almost not quite in the way that Chelsea have done since, but it, there were quite a few young players going out. And and I, I can see completely see the logic. If you if you if you're deeming that either A, the player isn't good enough to play in your team, or B, he's out there to go and develop and play in high-profile games, is playing in high-profile games is a good way of developing, then yes, it would be it would be logical that they should be allowed to play in, in games like this. But the rules state, you can't. So you can't. We'll wait and see when the camera cuts to him looking suitably glum in his uh, in his nice suit, whether he's got a, a red and blue carnation in his buttonhole or a, or a blue and white See, one. I, I'm more intrigued. If we're talking about divided loyalties, and, and don't get me wrong, Conor Gallagher has been very much committed to Crystal Palace throughout this line spell, and it's very much part of that group, and that's why he's upset that he can't play in this game. He is, he is integral to everything Palace do, and he's taking a massive part of the Palace team out by... By removing him from this fixture, but when it comes to divided loyalties, the, the only story in town is what David Blitzer and Josh Harris are doing at this fixture, and if they even turn up, um, because I'm not sure that, that that's a, a certainty either. I, I think that's a remarkable situation and one that's almost been underplayed and forgotten. It's staggering that that this is happening around, you know, the fifth FA Cup semi final in Crystal Palace's history, and the second of of the Blitzer Harris involvement in the ownership at that club and maybe they'll use their 76ers playoff game this weekend as an excuse not to not to show up but that's not the reason they're not there we all know the reason they're not there they were waiting on their phones from a call for rain groups to be told you know whether they're going to be able to allow to buy Chelsea or not it's remarkable it was incredible. Half past four UK time is the kickoff for the FA Cup semi-final. Of course, we'll handle the fallout on Monday. Next today, we'll have a look at the women's FA Cup semi-final. Well, it's not just the men who have an FA Cup semi-final this weekend. Emma Hayes' women's team take on Arsenal on Sunday. That game kicks off at 12.30 UK time. If you're in the UK, you can watch it live on BBC Two. Joining us now to look ahead to the match is the princess of podcasting, Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Um, Flo, here's a question for you which you might not know the answer to. How come the, the women's semis aren't played at neutral venues? This is at Boreham Wood, right, which is Arsenal's home. Yeah, it's something that's been talked about actually a lot this season. I haven't really seen it mentioned that much before. Obviously, they've only been at Wembley for maybe you want to say since like 2013, 2014. Um, Before that, they uh, had 
like sort of gone the final had been played at various different ones city ground had hosted it a few times i'm sure you remember matt uh sure loftus road had hosted it a little bit um like it they, they could kind of taken the final around to grounds that weren't as big as as wembley and then that kind of shifted towards right let's try and fill wembley and they've managed to achieve that and uh, and really done well the attendances recently uh, but yeah, the neutral venue thing for semi-finals hasn't really been talked about until this season, where people have sort of felt like there needs to be a bit more of an occasion about it. And I suppose when you do have a fixture like Arsenal Chelsea, it feels like, although it looks like it's going to be sold out of Borehamwood, it does feel like it's almost wasted there. And also Arsenal probably get a massive home advantage having it at Borehamwood, although Kingsmead and Borehamwood pitch size wise are quite similar. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation and I think we'll gain a little bit more pace going forward. But we even with the Conti Cup taking place at Plough Lane, which I think was a perfect venue for it, around 8,000 there, uh, it is still like it feels like a lot of work to even get that. happening and even to get that to a ground like that and get everything right and you know it it costs more and all these things so I feel like even though people are talking about it we're probably still a little bit of a way off from it actually happening. Mm, I guess there's a slight benefit for Chelsea in that Boreham Wood and Wembley aren't that far apart so you could probably do both the women's and the men's games with that little bit of time uh, in between. Uh, So you mentioned Wembley obviously these two teams met in last season's final there in December Uh, that game came off the back of an international break which was bemoaned by both coaches here we are again it's slightly different circumstances though isn't it I suppose with the semi. Yeah I think it is frustrating that it falls now because it's not really ideal and You've got quite a few Aussie players in both camps, obviously Sam Kerr for Chelsea and uh, Steph Catley, Lydia Williams and Caitlin Ford for Arsenal, who have been on the other side of the world, probably getting back into training today, don't have a lot of recovery time. Um, Sam Kerr, or suitcase was also lost by Qatar Airways, I think, so she's uh, also missing most of her wardrobe. Um, So, yeah, it's not ideal. Uh, One of Arsenal's... Most important players this season, I think, Leah Volti had a bit of a knock in Switzerland's first game of the window. And then she actually started the second one, I think, which I think Arsenal fans were a bit uh, peeved about. So she might be a little bit a little bit broken on return to London. So I think there will be a few knocks. Um, there's already some existing injury issues for Chelsea with Vanilla Harder out, uh, Frank Kirby still out as well. Not sure what the latest is on their return, but I don't think, I don't know if they're going to be uh, ready for the weekend. I think Emma Hayes probably has a a press conference today or Friday on that. But yeah, it's, it's it's a frustrating one, I think, because ideally you'd want your players to be fresher than having just you know, travelled on flights from all around Europe and all around the world. Um, now, I've got a bit of a concern. It, it's a big game, this. I know they're seasoned professional footballers and most of them are internationals. But, but what happens if one team concedes a goal? They're just going to crumble, aren't they? I know, right? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, uh, poor old uh, Southampton conceding, what, three goals in about 10 minutes last weekend against <laughs> Chelsea men as well. So never so emotional. Ne- never have anyone seen that uh, such a sight. Um, yeah, it obviously uh, pretty um, silly comments, I'd say, from uh, Northern Ireland women manager Kenny Shields. He has apologised for what he said. He is a an interesting character. Um, there's not really someone who has much of a filter, I would say. Uh, so I think he knows that it was the wrong thing to say. And, you know, you, you, I think it's it's very obvious to say that they were, you know, there were sexist comments and, and you know, that making that a gendered assumption is 
is not right and it's just not true because I think when you you know, look around that these situations happen in men's and women's football it's part of the game football is an emotional sport and that's what makes it so special I mean I wrote a piece on the athletic that's out today about that and I saw at the final whistle in in Madrid you know Antonio Rudiger was screaming in almost anguish you know like you would see someone if they've just watched their friend, you know, die or something. It was like this moment of just pain. Uh, and the only way that he could express himself was through screaming at the final whistle and kind of he was so angry and, and frustrated but so upset. And I think when you look at football, you see all those examples of the emotion in the game and and, and it doesn't need to be a negative thing and it also isn't a gendered thing. Who knows whether... Northern Ireland conceded those goals against England on Tuesday in quick succession because of emotion. I mean, England are a very good team and Northern Ireland, you know, the gap between them is huge. But, you know, there is emotion in football and we see it in so many examples and it's it's great. It's it, it's special and it should be celebrated and not used as a negative way to separate men and women. Absolutely. Um, finally, Flo, who's going to win? I mean, it's it's been so tight between them in the league all season. And, you know, even if you look at the recent results, it's nobody's gone on a massive run of beating the other team consistently, have they? Yeah, Chelsea had a, a massive hold on this fixture for, for a very long time. And then Arsenal have kind of managed to, to work their way back into it. Obviously won at the Emirates in that opening weekend of the season. Got a very good draw at Kings Meadow uh, and then a bit of an embarrassing defeat for Arsenal in that FA Cup final in December. So uh, for me, I think it's swaying towards Chelsea. Uh, I think there will be a bit of a home advantage for Arsenal being at Borenwood. But I do think Chelsea are still the more consistent team and far more defensively robust than Arsenal are. And I think that is going to be really important in this game because I think Arsenal are just more prone to making errors. Uh, and although they now have this really exciting partnership of Blackstenius and Miedemar, which Chelsea wouldn't have had to face before, really, uh, I still think if Kerr can shake off some of that jet lag uh, and, and Beth England can continue her good form, I still think they're going to be too much for that Arsenal defence. Let's hope so. Flo, always a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Right, quiz next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Okay, FA Cup semis the theme this week. Three questions each. Liam, you're up first. Cracking his knuckles as Dom wipes his brow in uh, dreaded anticipation. Liam, in which minute of last season's semi did Hakeem Ziyech score the only goal of the game against Manchester City? 
In which minute? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, I they feel are quite like difficult it was, questions. I, f- I feel like it was shortly before half-time. I'm going to say 42. Don, would you like to steal? 45. 55. Oh! Was the answer. Uh, that's what, we, what you said, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dom, here's your first. Fill in the missing name from the Chelsea back three that started the 2017 semi-final win against Spurs. Azpilicueta, Luis, blank. Zuma? Liam, can you steal it? Cahill? It was Nathan Ake. Ooh. Mm. Oh, yeah. Nil-nil. After one each. Liam, here's your second. This is probably the easiest one, to be fair. Name at least two of the three Chelsea goal scorers in the 2010 semi-final against Aston Villa. <laughs> Drogba. Correct. Just one more to get. Lampard. Correct. I mean, it's just easy okay. that, and then you just go for that around that area. Uh, did... Don't overthink it is my new strategy. Yeah. Did you know the third? 2010. Uh, my guess would be Maluda. Oh, that's absolutely spot on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm intimidated <laughs> out of this. This is terrible. Uh, question two is also your easier one, Dom. Uh, Chelsea beat Wimbledon 3-0 in the 1997 semi. Where was it played? <laughs> Nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, that brilliant Zola goal. One of my favourite ever FA Cup semi final goals. Oh yeah, okay. Um Highbury? Is correct. It's one one. It had to be London. Going into the final round of questions. Liam, here's yours. Which current Southampton player started the twenty eighteen semi final for Chelsea against the Saints? <laughs> Liam has moved away from his microphone, looking around the room, <laughs> trying to find some clue. I've clue, he's not on the wedding got... picture you've got behind you. He's, he's definitely No, but I've got the 2018 squad plastered <laughs> across the other three walls of my living room. Um... Which current Southampton player started the 2018 semi-final for Chelsea against the Saints? The only current Southampton, like it wouldn't be Oriol Romeo. That's too late. But I, no, I, I can't remember. Dom, can you steal it? Yeah. Go on then. I saw him last week. That's like the only reason I can steal it. And I was amazed that he was on the bench. <laughs> Willie Caballero. Willie Caballero is correct. He started that semi-final. Okay. So, I mean, you could still draw, Dom, if you get this wrong and Liam steals it. Final question of the quiz. Who did Chelsea beat 2-1 in the 2000 semi-final? Toomey's pondering. It's not a tap-in for anybody, this. Um, So many semi-finals involving Chelsea. I'm trying to think of which teams were doing quite well in cup competitions <laughs> back then. Um, where was I working in 2000? I was in the North East. 
just about. Newcastle? Newcastle is correct. Yeah, you can to oh! your way through that. <laughs> and it's victory for five fields. So you would have been at that one then, presumably. Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it oh, was 22 years ago, so forgive you for guessing. But you're victorious, Dom. Well done. You, you, you know, slightly disappointed in the intertotally, but that'll make up for it, no? Apparently... Um... Apparently, the, the the bet that I that if, had I won that that intertotally tie, the bet that I put on uh, for Palace to hammer Arsenal three nil was forty five to one. <laughs> so I'd just like to apologise to all the charities out there for my complete incompetence <laughs> in the quiz. I must say, Matt, it's very bad timing for you to be laughing and joking with the winner of the quiz. <laughs> my heart and soul to this. <laughs> Such a bad loser, but you're an elite writer, though, aren't you? That's a... <laughs> also, a bit emotional, Liam, after conceding a quiz. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, that's something to do with your gender or not. Um, anyway, well done, Dom. The quiz will be back next week, and these two will be hoping that they don't have to do it. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s have a crunch game against fellow PL2 strugglers Everton on Friday, so we'll let you know on Monday how they get on. Uh, the under-18s hosted Southampton at Cobham on Wednesday. They were beaten 3-0, meaning any remaining thought they might have had over being title contenders are all but over. Not a great season for the academy sides, as we've been saying in recent weeks. That'll just about do us for today. Liam, you teased a little bit about what you're writing. Can you give us some more details, please? Yeah, so I'm just going to be writing a relatively shorter piece uh, for The Athletic, looking at the twin midfield dilemmas that Chelsea have with N'Golo Kante and Jorginho. Um, Thomas Tuchel's already been on the record saying that he doesn't want a repeat of the Rudiger Christensen as Piliqueta contract paths um, from this season but they both have one year left this summer and they're both north of 30 uh, traditionally that would kind of only lead things one way at Chelsea but the whole ownership situation throws that as well as everything else up in the air so um yeah, going to be trying to look at that from as many different angles as possible. Excellent. How about you, Dom? Well, I'm still contemplating um, life on the top of a hill, but that that <laughs> that that should that should come out on Saturday morning. <laughs> you have to listen to Monday's pod if you want more details on that. I've never anticipated a piece more. <laughs> I'm slightly concerned at this. To be honest, it's starting to feel as if it's being built up slightly. <laughs> Also on The Athletic now, you can read Michael Cox's piece explaining how Tommy T's tactical tweaks hit the mark in Madrid despite the result. Remember, you can sign up now for just a pound a month for your first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to do just that. We'll be back on Monday to reflect on those two semis and look ahead to the Arsenal game on Wednesday night. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.